morning. So I have to tell you, first service, they talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and I'm always that guy like, all right, all right, come back together, come back together. Now, what I told them this morning is that you are so eager to hear the message that you're like, I just have to sit down and ready to receive. And so I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, we'll just go with it, and that's what they believe uh, this morning. My name is Chris, and uh, so thankful that I get to be here this morning with you. Uh, thanks for joining us here and, uh, and also online. Really grateful that we can gather in this place. And uh, I want to encourage you as a church to continue to pray for each other, to continue to serve one another. I was encouraging first service as we had a report from Richard Wilson's son, Steve. Now, Richard is someone we've been praying for. He is uh, uh, just an amazing guy and has just gone through some major health struggles the last number of weeks and, um, and gave a report this morning that Richard is recovering. He's in one of the, the local uh, uh, rehab area uh, um, centers here and uh, gaining his strength back, whereas he was really on the edge of, uh, didn't know whether or not he uh, would be here with us or not. And so Steve was given a report just saying how thankful he was for the support and the prayers and all the visits. And so thanks for being the church in that way, and we give God praise for how Richard's doing. We also want to continue to pray for Julie as she recovers. Um, Julie sits back in those chairs over there where, where Judy's at uh, in first service, and uh, she is eager to be back with us, and so continue to pray for Julie. And, uh, and just uh, reach out to one another. I love hearing stories of you connecting. I know there's so many things that happen that I, I miss, uh, but I love hearing the stories of how you're intentionally caring for one another, and that you're reaching out to one another, that you're truly being the church, and, uh, and that's a great encouragement because it's not just this gathering here that matters. It's when we walk out those doors uh, in all the places that God calls us to uh, that we uh, get to be the church. And so um, thankful that we had a time of worship, and I'm going to invite you um, just to pause for a moment. We are going to, uh, in a moment, be dedicating a child, and at the end of service, uh, we are going to receive the Lord's Supper, too. And we can so easily walk through this time together just from thing to thing to thing and, and move through, and it's um, a same pace that we so often live our life. And so I'm going to ask you this morning uh, just to take a moment, and maybe for you it's just taking a couple deep breaths. Maybe for you it is a, a time where you want to take a time to confess something to God. Maybe it's something that you just want to receive uh, from him, but just a moment to pause. And so would you take a moment to pray, to breathe, whatever it is, uh, and then we'll continue on with service. Lord, I thank you for the stillness of a moment. I had an opportunity to pause, to connect with you. Lord, maybe just to realize we're human and we need to breathe. So Jesus, I thank you for each person that's gathered here, each person watching online. Lord, I thank you for the, uh, the sounds of children in this space. I thank you for... Um, the teens, the adults that are here. Jesus, you're so good. And thank you that we can be together here. 
Lord, today we want to surrender this time to you. We want to invite your spirit to move in whatever way your spirit desires. So Jesus, may you be glorified in us and through us. And we pray all these things in your strong and powerful name. Amen. As I mentioned, we have the opportunity to uh, dedicate a child. It's uh, a great honor for us to be able to do that and uh, to commit this child to the Lord. And as I'm going to say in just a minute, it is just as much about the child as it is the parents. And so this morning, I want to invite Spencer and Zoe to come forward with Hazel. And uh, we have an opportunity um, to dedicate Hazel this morning. And Hazel was born on January 16th. Um, so she is precious and little in its bright lights up here. She's stretching out there uh, with mom and dad. And uh, so thankful for you guys and thankful for her. And I want to give you an opportunity. I know you've got quite the crew here. Um, just however you want to introduce them. Spence, I'll give that to you. Um, well, we have a lot of people on both sides of the family, so a lot of love in this. Three or four rows over here. We won't go through each name, but definitely feel the love from all the family. So. And we're creatures of habit, so we apologize if we stole your seat today. <laughs> I love it. So why don't you wave at us if you are here specifically with a uh, welcome. That's amazing support. I always love seeing family. And uh, so thanks for whatever it took for you to be here this morning to support them. Uh, thanks for being here. It's, uh, it means a lot to them. I know that for sure. So Hazel's... Um, First name means God has seen in Hebrew. And uh, asked Spencer Zoe uh, the, the meanings of the names and if they had any specific uh, purpose and, and intentionality with that. And Christine means follower of Christ. So uh, God is seen and a follower of Christ. And you told me that Christine is also Grandma Bonnie's middle name as well. So she shares that connection. And there's a beautiful passage in Genesis chapter 16 where Hagar has been pushed out. And, and she is just in a desperate, broken place. And this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And she cries out. God goes to her and, and, and is there. And, and she says this. So she says, she called on the Lord and said, you are a God of seeing. Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And so she uses God's name, El Roy, which means a God who sees. And with Hazel's name meaning God has seen, well, this passage that the Lord was there and that that Hagar was seen in that situation. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says this. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And so my prayer today for Hazel, for your family, is that, um, that she is one that continues to turn to God, that she feels seen and she recognizes that there is a God who seeks those who are fully committed um, to him and so that she would walk in that. And the verse that I gave to her is from John 8, 12, and it says, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is saying these words. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so that's a prayer that I know you have for her, that she would walk in light, that she wouldn't walk in darkness, that she would rely on the God who sees her and sees you guys uh, throughout her entire life. And as I mentioned, it's not just about her. It's about the two of you. And this is just as much about the two of you and your commitment uh, to her and raising her as it is about uh, her herself. And the primary role of us as Christian parents is not just a one-time to share Jesus, but an ongoing sharing of Jesus. It's, it's the everyday reality. It's a, a continual role. And I love how Deuteronomy 6 says this. 
These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your house and on your gate. And so that's your role is to just talk as you're sitting, as you're walking. Um, it's just to tie them on. They would physically tie on scripture so that they would have scripture with them all the time. And it would be taught there in this continual basis. And so I'm going to ask you uh, four different questions and ask you to agree as we dedicate her. Is first, do you solemnly dedicate yourselves to raising Hazel in the nurture and the counsel of the Lord? Will you reject the ways of Satan, reject the ways of the world, and reject the ways of our own sinful nature as you teach and train her? Third question is, do you believe the Old and New Testaments or the Holy Scriptures, and therefore you will teach Hazel God's word in both word and deed? And last question, do you this day solemnly dedicate Hazel to God that she may live for the Lord all the days of her life? And then so today, just as a reminder, is, is we pray blessing, we speak blessing over her today that she would walk in the light of the Lord, that she would be seen, and that the, the light of life would strengthen her and her heart. So um, I'm really comfortable that she would leave her there. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'll pray. And actually, I'm going to invite, um, do you have family come and join and pray too? Okay. We, so, so whoever wants to come and um, gather around. Uh, Spencer and Zoe and Hazel. Because it is family, it is friends, it is church, and so uh, it's not just the two of you, and part of that is this reminder. Maybe I just should have had you go there. So. <laughs> no, no, no. no, this is a beautiful picture, absolutely. So, hi, you're awake. Hi there. So, all right, thank you, family. Thank you, friends. So, all right, as a church, too, let's gather. And uh, so often we extend our hands as a, an agreement in prayer. And so let's do that. Merciful Father, gracious God, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for each day that you have given to each one of us. And you call us to rejoice in it. And today we rejoice with Spencer, with Zoe, with Hazel, with all the family, with friends. And Jesus, we pray, God, that Hazel would walk in your light, that she would know you as Lord and Savior, that she would walk all the days of her life with you. Lord Jesus, that she would be fully committed to you. Lord, that she would be reminded in those dark moments and days that you are a God who sees her, a God who knows her. You are El Roy. And so, Jesus, I pray, God, your filling of the Spirit. God, I pray your blessing upon Spencer and Zoe as they um, Lord, in those moments of joy and those moments of despair, that they would lean on you. And Father, I pray, God, an empowerment of blessing over this entire family. Lord, as they um, care and nurture and speak and, and Lord, pray for uh, Hazel. Uh, so Jesus, we love you. So grateful. And in this moment, in this day, Lord, we dedicate Hazel to you. Pray this in Jesus' strong, powerful, and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Oh, absolutely. So just a couple of eyes. Absolutely. So God bless you all. Thank you all for coming up. All right. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. 
with me? We continue our series, Follow Me, and uh, what it means to follow after Jesus. And again, uh, just, I love that picture of, of family right there and, and this following together, that it's not you alone, it's not me alone, it is us together. And in this season of Lent, beginning about a week and a half ago with Ash Wednesday going all the way to Easter, it is a season of self-examination, a season of repentance, prayer, fasting, self-denial. It's a lot of different ways that you all are engaging this. But really, the encouragement for all of us is in this season to stop, to pause, and to say, what's really going on? What's going on in my heart? What's going on in my mind? What is my relationship with God like in this moment? And that's that self-examination and the prayer and the fasting and self-denial, but then the repentance part of it is what is it that I am walking in, I'm allowing in, whatever it is that is not of God? And how do I need to not only believe differently, think differently, but turn and go a different way with this to honor God in these ways? And I love in this season that we were able to celebrate last week. Um, we have this tree here, and if you're visiting with us or you may have forgotten, we use this tree as a, a visual reminder of some of God's work amongst us. So this year, if someone has received Jesus Christ as their Savior for the first time uh, or renewed their commitment, we invite people to turn a light bulb as a symbol of that light, that walking in the light, not in the darkness, which we just looked at. And, uh, and so you may have noticed that last week, if you recall, we had two bulbs turned. And then this past Tuesday at Awana, two more bulbs were turned as um, some kids professed their faith in Christ. And if you, um, if you have received Christ, uh, there's going to be an opportunity later for you to turn a bulb as well. Maybe today you're saying, I'm following Jesus uh, for the first time, or, uh, or I've renewed my commitment, and I want to symbolically do that. Now, it's not just about a bulb, because we do that symbolically as this reminder. But Scripture calls us to be baptized, and I point to our baptism tank, which is right there on the platform. And on Easter, we are going to baptize. So if you've never been baptized, you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've not been baptized, I encourage you to do so. Whether recently you've received Christ or you just keep putting it off, uh, what a great day, Easter, to celebrate. As, as baptism is the symbol of our uh, relationship with Jesus, is that baptism does not save us, but we're called to be baptized. Rather, it's a symbol of what God has done in us. I liken it to my, my wedding ring. That, this is not my marriage, but it's a symbol. It's an outward sign of my marriage. And so baptism is this celebration, this public celebration that we get to have. So contact the office if you are interested in that, and we would love to be a part of that with you. So now in Matthew uh, chapter 5, we've begun this journey of walking with Jesus through this gospel. Matthew was a tax collector who Jesus came to him and said, follow me, which is the name of the series. And he left his tax collecting. He left working for the Roman government at that time. And he ended up writing and recording his journeys with Jesus. And Matthew's main point, written primarily to a Jewish audience, was that Jesus came as the Messiah King. He's the long-awaited Messiah in the line of David, fulfilling Old Testament covenants and prophecies, proclaiming this everlasting salvation. Last week, we saw that Jesus called people to follow him, and, and he called them to repent, as I just mentioned about repentance. What we look at today in chapter 5, 6, and 7, we're really going to focus on the first part of chapter 5, is the Beatitudes. And this is part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus beginning his ministry, 
And he's saying, this is really what I'm about. This is my heartbeat. This is, this is where we're going. This is who I am. And what he presents is really an upside-down kingdom. This is a phrase that is often used when it's speaking of Jesus' ministry and the Sermon on the Mount. Because the disciples looked around, individuals looked around. We look around and we see kingdoms at work. And what Jesus does is he comes in and, and we see this in the Sermon on the Mount is he's going to flip this upside down and to say what you expected or what you know is different. There's a different way of looking at things in the world. There's a different way of walking as a follower of Jesus. Something different is unfolding. And specifically, we're going to dig into what it means to follow today. Often you hear a message like this, and it's very easy to hear, just try harder, be better, do more. That is not the point, and that's not the point Jesus is getting at in this message. He is, he is saying, let me be the one you rest in. Let me be the one that works in you. Make yourself available. This poor heartbeat. So in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Let's not skip over this first part here, is that the disciples came to Jesus. There was this moment where he sat, where he allowed them to be, and he taught. It's like we so often need to do, is we need to just get back to this place of like, okay, I'm present. I'm present with you, God. I'm here. Then Jesus teaches this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now these first 12 verses have a key theme and a key word, and that word is what? Blessed. That's right. Now church people love the word blessed, right? I am so blessed. God has blessed me with his day off. That gift is for me. Oh, what a blessing this is. Oh, you're a blessing. God bless you. Oh, bless your heart. Not always a kind phrase, right? But you may look around too. You may not think of yourself. You may look at someone else and be like, wow, hmm, things are really going well for them. They're, they're really blessed. God has blessed them with a good life. When we use blessed that way, we're assuming that only good, perceived good, is what it means to be blessed. Whether that's things that unfold or things we have, because we don't hear people say things like, yeah, you did all the research on that project at work or school, and then your coworker or classmate ended up taking all the credit for it. Man, you are so blessed. Right? We don't say that. Or you're completely broke and you have no way to pay your bills. You don't have someone come along and be like, you're so blessed. Right? We don't use the word blessed in this type of way. It seems odd to associate blessings with what is perceived as negative. And so if blessing is perceived as only good things happening, 
it can be really frustrating when these, be- these good things do not happen to you, or maybe even worse, they happen to someone else, and you're looking at them saying, like, why them? Anyone else, God, not them. They don't deserve it. And we may not really flesh that out and articulate that completely verbally, but we walk and we wonder, why are they, quote, unquote, blessed? But if this is you, you're not alone. The psalmist in Psalm 73 said these words. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. He was in this uneven type of reality, looking at other people. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up the waters in abundance. And they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care, and they go on amassing wealth. So the psalmist is saying that same thing. How in the world does this happen? They're gathering people around them, and it's like they're flourishing while I'm not. And the psalmist was ready to join that crowd, to be done with God. If God really loved me, then he would do this. If God really knew what was happening and had any power, then he would do this for me. The psalmist was ready to jump in. But the psalmist, like Jesus, realized that there's something more going on, which there so often is, simmering underneath the surface. We have what we perceive and what we walk through, but there's something more going on. We need to pause, look a little bit closer, a little bit deeper. First, we use the word bless, just like so many people have throughout time. When it was first originally used, it was really this word meaning happy or blissful. But it's so much more than being happy or blissful. In ancient times, this Greek word was used for the gods. The only ones that were blessed were the gods. I mean, they had contentment beyond all the cares of the world and labors and even death. So in order to be blessed, you had to be a god. Or later on, it was started to change a little bit. And people also started saying, well, if you're dead, then you're blessed. Because you don't have worries anymore. Everything is taken care of. You don't have to to worry about anything. So you're either a god or you're dead. And then it evolved a little bit more into the rich and powerful. They're the ones who are blessed, which is a bit like some of our thought patterns today. It's the rich and powerful who are blessed, not the poor. But then it continued to evolve into, well, if you're living right and you're righteous, then you're blessed. It's kind of like you do the right things and then right things will happen to you. This is so often how this blessed reality is perceived. So in Jesus' day, Jesus is dealing with this perception that the blessed are either God's dead, rich and powerful, uh, or the the righteous, the, the pure. So Jesus is coming before them, and he's saying, you know what? We're going to flip this upside down. You perceive it that way, but those who are really blessed, they're the poor in spirit. They're the ones who are mourning. They're the meek. 
those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted and insulted because of Jesus. These are the people who are blessed. But, but we look at this list and we're like, uh, if you're mourning right now, you may not feel blessed. Or if you're being really merciful, trying to give mercy in a situation and there's not someone doing that, you may not feel blessed. And so we look at what Jesus presented here and we may say, I don't know if I want this kingdom. I mean, it doesn't sound very appealing. And what we do with this list is, it reminds me of dinners. Uh, I just thought of our Thanksgiving dinner here that we had at the church where, you know, we had these two tables set up in the youth room and there's all sorts of food spread out there. And, uh, and, you know, this could be any potluck or family gathering or buffet you go to, whatever it may be. You're walking along, like, I want some turkey, I want some beans. This is a weird-looking casserole, but I'm going to try it. You know, whatever it may be, and we pass over other things. Sometimes with the Beatitudes, when we read this, we do the exact same thing. I want that peace, but I don't want to be meek. And we pick and choose. Instead, Jesus is saying, these are just realities that are there. This is life. You're going to walk through these realities. And what you need, I have provided for you. I've provided for you. It's, it's God extending his benefits and his blessing through these situations and realities. And it's us receiving them. But too often what we do is we're like a little kid who didn't get his way. And like, no. I don't want to mourn. Instead of being, I don't get this. I don't understand this mourning. This is painful. This is this is, this is terrible right now. I, I can't put language to it. I'm in need. And it's receiving that comfort that God has promised in that morning. Consider verse 3 in chapter 5 of Matthew. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If I were to ask you right now to evaluate the level of you being poor in spirit between 1 and 10, could you evaluate right now how poor in spirit you are? Hard reality to try to wrap our mind around. So, so how are we poor in spirit, and, and then how do we have the kingdom of heaven, which, if you recall from last week, is the presence of Jesus. It's his will unfolding around us. And maybe what we need to look at is, uh, what is it like to be poor monetarily? No job, no paycheck, no income, no savings, no retirement, no friends or family to fall back on. And if we were to take that idea and apply it to being poor in spirit, there's an emptiness. There's a brokenness. There's a great need that we can't find our way out of. Last week I shared Psalm 51, which says, uh, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. The psalmist is saying it's brokenness. This contrite heart, which really means, God, I'm, I'm open to you and what you want to do in me. You're not going to despise this. You will welcome me back. 
It is this level of brokenness, which we don't want to walk into, but it is a reality of life. So often we try to keep or maintain salvation, whatever that means. We try to pray enough and read our Bible enough and come to church enough and do good things enough. And we understand that we're saved by grace and not works, but we still try to do works and we want to avoid this brokenness. We don't want to walk through that. But to be poor in spirit is to experience God's will being done in me and around me. Tim Keller is a, a pastor and an author, and he differentiates uh, what it means to be poor in spirit and what it means to be middle class in spirit. Let me read something that he wrote. He said, to be poor in spirit, it means seeing that you are deeply in debt before God and you have no ability to even begin to redeem yourself. God's free generosity to you at infinite cost to him was the only thing that saved you. On the contrary, you believe that God owes you something, some things. He ought to answer your prayers and bless you for the many good things you've done. Even though the Bible doesn't use the term, by inference, we can say that you are middle class in spirit. You feel that you've earned a certain standing with God through your hard work. You also may believe that the success and the resources you have are primarily due to your own industry and energy. Brilliant and painful, right? Because I so often can lean into that middle class in spirit. And I, I can do this, right? Not, I'm, I'm checking my boxes spiritually. The psalmist in Psalm 40 said this, but as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help, my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Poor and needy. God, I'll, I'll never have enough. I'll never be enough. Jesus, you are enough. You are enough. I told a story a number of times of a, a time I was in Joshua Tree National Park when I was in California going to school. And um, it was Valentine's Day, which was also my anniversary. And I think it was my five-year anniversary, and Joanna was back home because I was out there for a couple weeks for school. And so I was missing her, missing anniversary, and I went to Joshua Tree National Park by myself just thinking this would be a really, really good experience just to get away. And as I got there, I looked around, and I saw couples everywhere, right? Oh, this is, this is ridiculous. And I remember driving through the national park, and I found this spot where there was no one else around, no cars. It was just wide open. And I parked and I sat on the hood. And I just felt this emptiness. And I felt this impression on my heart of, like the Spirit was saying, am I enough? Not me as Chris, am I enough? But it felt like God saying, am I enough? I'm like, oh yeah, of course, right? But I sat there and I, I pondered that a little bit longer, is that if, if Joanna wasn't in the picture, if, if there weren't any kids, if you didn't have your job, house, friends, family. Everything was stripped away. Am I enough? 
I was like, ugh. And I wrestled while in a literal desert with a desert-like question. Am I poor and needy? Am I asking the Lord to think of me? Do I really believe that God is my help and my deliverer? Do I really want God? See, to be poor in spirit is to be humble. The story of an old rabbi and a young student who were having a conversation, and the old rabbi told the young student, you know, in days, and days of old, men and women would see the face of God. And of course, the question from the young student was like, well, why not now? And the old rabbi said, because no one stoops so low. No one humbles themselves that low to see the face of God anymore. We live in a time where we're self-sufficient. We have systems and, and layers of protection around us in every different way. To be poor in spirit or to be poor is to receive humbly. I mean, even think of like receiving a compliment or receiving a gift or whatever it may be. Is There's a humility that takes to receive that. The most we can really say is thank you. And so often we try to like give a gift back or compliment back or whatever, and that's not the point. It's, it's thank you and humbly receiving that gift. And humility opens us up to God. We so often spend so much of our life trying to pull ourselves up, trying to look good, trying to build these different things so we can feel good. But rather it's about how do we humble ourselves before the Lord? Jesus told his disciples, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, there's a different kingdom, there's a different reality that's unfolding. Last week we looked at Matthew 4 where Jesus said this in Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is saying, I'm here what God's will is, is unfolding all around you right now. And for 2,000 years, it has been unfolding around us. And the Beatitudes are not only realities that someday will be completely fulfilled, but they're realities that we walk in now. I mean, now there's, when we mourn, there's comfort. In eternity, there's no more tears, there's no more suffering, there's no more pain. There's something now that unfolds that we get to participate in that are glimpses of eternity. And why would we waste that? Why would we miss that now for our own kingdom? N.T. Wright, he wrote these words. He said, Jesus is in fact inviting his hearers to something much more radical, an anticipation of what we might call eschatological authenticity. Yes, there will be a time when God's people will serve and love him and live out the genuine humanness of which the ancient law had spoken naturally and from the heart. But this will be a God-given second nature, a new way of being human. But you can begin to practice this now, difficult though it will be, because Jesus is here inaugurating the kingdom. So future blessing, yes. Present reality, absolutely. And so when it comes to the Beatitudes, again, it is not about your action or my action or doing more, but rather it's about receiving what God has already done on our behalf and the comfort he already gives. Poor in spirit, him's yours. Mourning, comfort's yours. Meek, earth is yours. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, filled. And go on and on and on. 
So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Started with that question. Four questions for us to start to process this a little bit. First, am I offended when confronted with the fact that I am a sinner and I've sinned? Is that offensive when you, wherever you're at, God's spirit goes, hey, that thing you said, thought, did? Mm -mm. Is that offensive to you? Or maybe someone around you says something to you that you know is truth. You know it's sin in your life, and they, they say, hey, Chris, this thing right here. Are you offended by that? Or are you quick? I am so sorry, God. Second question, am I aware of my own spiritual inadequacy and avoid a, an appearance of self-righteousness? Am I self-righteous, and I don't want anyone to know what's going on? Third question, do I place a high value on the mercy of God because I know I cannot live without it? Have you thought about the mercy of God? Trying to live without it. Fourth, do I boast only in Christ because I know every good thing in life is because of him? Or is it because I've worked hard, saved well, I've invested well, I went to school? Or do I say, God, thank you. Thank you. There's a story of a young child sitting with his family in a restaurant. And as they sat down, they brought waters to the table. And the young child took his glass of water, and he, his full glass of water, and he looked at his mom's full glass of water, and the child just goes right in his mom's full glass of water. And the water just goes everywhere. And in the brilliance of great parental questions throughout the history of time, the mom asked the question, why did you do that? And the child looked at his mom. And the child said, Mom, I wanted you to have my water. And mom replies, but I already have my own water. I do not need your water. I wonder how often that is the same way with God. Is that God is like, hey, I have, I have this thing of the Spirit, this blessing, this, this I'm going to pour out in your life. And you're like, no, I'm good, God, thanks. Full, see? I'm keeping it full. I'm here. Versus this emptiness and the surrender. I need you. I am empty. I am broken. can't do this on my own. Fill me. I'm empty. I need you. I receive. I reject my own self-sufficiency. I reject my own self-righteousness. I reject trying to self-atone. Maybe it looks more like this. Blessed are the ones who are empty. Blessed are the ones who have come to the end of the rope. Blessed are the ones standing before God with open hands, fully dependent. Blessed are the ones who are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the ones who have nothing left to offer. Blessed are the ones who have nothing to give to the king of kings, yet are willing to receive the kingdom of God. Blessed are the ones who see their need for God. Blessed are the ones who recognize that Jesus has and will continue to work in and through you with overwhelming provision, both here and now and in eternity. For theirs is the kingdom of God.
broken? Are we empty enough to receive from God? Are you just saying, good, God, got it under control. I'll glass it for you. You join me in prayer. Jesus, your kingdom challenges all other kingdoms. Lord, I recognize there's a tension in that that we feel. But Lord, at the same time, that tension that we desire. Spirit of God, I I pray that you would empty each one of us in this moment, that we would empty ourselves of all our self-sufficiency and atonement and righteousness that's our own. Jesus, in this moment, we would welcome your spirit to fill us, surrender you. For those gathered in this space and those watching online, maybe this is a first-time reality. Maybe for you it is confessing that you are a sinner, that you've sinned, that you've rebelled against God, tried to make your own way. And in this moment, that you, in whatever way God's moving on your heart, you would tell him something like, I'm a sinner. I confess that. But I receive your forgiveness. But I believe that Jesus took all my sin on the cross. And Jesus, today, I am a savior. Spirit, fill me. Lord, I want to walk with you from this point forward. Or maybe for you, just going through the motions, maybe you've walked away from God, and this moment is yours. Confession of releasing, of emptying all of yourself before God and recommitting to him, saying, getting myself back up. I'm walking with you again. So Jesus, in that same way, I confess my sin. Lord, I know you've taken it on yourself on the cross. God, once again, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I follow after you. Jesus, you 